I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Let's Get Civical. This is the podcast that breaks down politics, government structure, and dives into the context of current events, but in a super fun way. I'm Lizzie Stewart, comedian, feminist, and political junkie. And I'm Arden Walentowski, former Senate intern, campaign staffer, and political strategist. In this episode, we're talking about the War of 1812. So grab your sandbar. And let's get civical. Everybody. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Let's Get Civical. I'm Lizzie Stewart. And I'm Arden Walentowski. And we're back, babes, and talking about the WAR. We're going to talk about a war. A war. It's been a long time coming. I, I love talking about wars. I really do. <laughs> it's just, they're so... They're crazy. They're crazy. It's crazy. The concept of war is is bananas yes. to me. But here we are. Here we are. Here we are. And this is a war that like I knew a little bit about, but it's one of the ones in grade school where there's like, there's the Revolutionary War, there's, you know, the Civil War. In between, there was the War of 1812, but we don't really need to talk about well, it. We don't need to talk about you it. You just need to know that it happened, but like right. beyond that. Well, because it's like, it's so, I mean, not so close, but it's like close to the Revolutionary mm-hmm. War. You know, it, to me, it's just like, I get why people want to just jump over it. It's like, yeah, we're still fu- like, yeah. You know, there's nothing jazzy about necessarily what it's about. Like the Revolutionary War, we're fighting for independence. The yeah, Civil yeah, yeah. War, we're fighting against slavery. War of eighteen twelve, trade disputes. Trade. It's hard to make a trade dispute sexy. I mean, yeah. really, 
It really is. But you know what we're going to do? We're going to make it we're sexy. Gonna try, we're going to try to make it sexy. <laughs> and now, coming to the stage, The War of 1812. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. This is so horrific. That was such a heroic attempt to make The War yeah. of 1812 sound sexy. Look, heroic, heroic we, will, we will keep fighting the good fight to make this <laughs> yeah. sexy. But we're let's just let's just jump right into her because Great. why not? So these notes are coming from history.com, obviously. <laughs> the Senate, because how can it not? Yep. Britannica and one of my favorite sources, battlefields.org. We got a lot of info from them when we did uh, our stuff about the black soldiers in, in oh, the yeah. major wars. Yep. And I just think they're a great resource for they're wars. They're so good. So, I, yep. So let's, we're, I'm just going to break down some of the basics. So like through line of this war, basically what's going on, U.S. dot, baby U.S. dot, really. Baby. We're young with a capital Y. We are caught in the middle of a war between the French and and Great Britain because of difficulties of trade. Basically, France and Great Britain are fighting yeah. in a little pissing contest about who gets to trade with us, U.S. Dot. It's who gets the U.S. Dot in the divorce. Yeah. I mean, to have two people fighting over you, hot. That's hot. That's hot. So let's talk about where this fighting actually took place. So the War of 1812 was fought in the United States, Canada, and on the high seas. High seas. <laughs> Why do they call it the high seas, do you think? Because the waves are high? I guess so. <laughs> I mean, it is counterintuitive because if there's, of course, then low seas. But do you only fight when the seas are? Yeah. But, like, that's a phrase. It's like we're on the high seas. Yeah. It's like, wh- why... Why are we on the high seas? Why are we never on the low seas? Why right. are we never on still water? <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, why the high sea? It's, I don't know. Maybe there's something romantic about it. If you know the terminology, high seas, call me and walk me through it. Oh, walk us through it. I do feel like it has something to do with, like, it just sounds better to be at sure. war on a tumultuous... On the high seas. Waves crashing waves, around yeah. you. Moby yeah. Dick. Call me Ishmael. I get it. I read. Yeah. So battles were fought in the Old Southwest, which I love. I kept the dis- this description in for you because I was like, I have never heard parts of the country referred to this way. Me either. Let's I'm get obsessed. it. Get I'm it. obsessed. So the Old Southwest consists of Alabama, Louisiana, Georgia, and Mississippi. And the Old Northwest, which is embracing Ohio, uh-huh. Illinois. Embracing. Embracer. Ohio, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, and Wisconsin, mm-hmm. Canada, as we said, coastal Maine, and the Chesapeake. So many battles happened in rivers, lakes, and oceans. The British enforced a blockade of American ports, particularly in the south along the Atlantic seaboard. Love to see it. Since the war had a distinct commercial character, Pirate-style raids were carried out against trade ships throughout the Atlantic. This is U.S.Dot's worst nightmare, is the return of the pirates. The return of the pirates. They, They're they back. They pop up. They just... They, you never They're know like, when the pirates are going <clears> to <throat> surface. I imagine the War of 1812 starts. These pirate-esque raids start happening, and the Founding Fathers and the Goat are like, Oh, no, not again. 
We thought Please. we were done with the pirates. Oh, God. Oh, no. Lake Erie and Lake Ontario played major roles in the War of 1812. Mm-hmm. Who, who would have thought? Who mm-hmm. would have thought? Sitting amidst the main theater of operations in the north, they shaped the movements of contending armies. Large ships were built and put on the lakes where they engaged in full-scale battles for supremacy in order to move troops and bombard rival towns. Yep. Dang, things yep. are popping off in Lake Erie and Lake you Ontario. You have no idea. We're going to talk, Sheesh. I pulled up the battle of, because I was like, we can't talk about every single, like, I don't want to no, give a chronological, not. that's a snooze fest. Of course not, that's not why we're here. So I just pulled the battle of Lake Erie. Which is also known as the Battle of Put-In-Bay. Put-In-Bay. And I am so excited because I I spend time there almost every summer and have for like 10 years. And so I am excited to give you some real world experience along with. Really bring us there. I'm going to you a picture. But that's coming later. Battle of Lake Erie is coming later. So let's talk a little bit more about the causes of the war. Love it. Because as with any fight, there's always tensions brewing underneath for a while. The tensions that caused the War of 1812 arose from the French Revolutionary and Napoleonic Wars. During this nearly constant conflict between France and Britain, American interests were injured by each of the two countries' endeavors to block the United States from trading with the other. So, like... America, much like we do today, wanted to trade with France, trade with Great Britain, go back, you know, Mm -hmm. like, they just wanted to be able to see both parents. Yeah, and except that both parents are like, we don't want you going to your mom's house. Exactly. And U.S. is like, okay, but I have to go to mom's house. Right. What do you want me to say? Like, I have to go see mom. I have to go see mom. And then mom would be like, I don't want you going to your dad's house. And the U.S. was like, oh, oh, okay, but I can't go to your... Dan, if I don't. Ugh. Yes, exactly. At the outset of the 19th century, Great Britain was locked in a long and bitter conflict with Napoleon Bonaparte. Same. 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 It was rough. It was a Mm -hmm. hard time in my life. Mm -hmm. In an attempt to cut off supplies from reaching the enemy, both sides attempted to block the United States from trading with each other. After Jefferson became president in 1801, this is all now coming from Britannica, After Jefferson became president in 1801, relations with Britain slowly deteriorated and systematic enforcement of the rule of 1756 resumed after 1805. Obsessed. Uh, Things are breaking down. Things are happening. Jefferson's in power and Great Britain is like, ugh. Yeah. They don't. Uh. Britain's throwing a hissy fit. Yep. Compounding this development, the decisive British naval victory at the Battle of Trafalgar and efforts by the British to blockade French ports prompted the French emperor, a.k.a. We Napoleon, to cut off Britain from European and American trade. Dang, go off. Yeah, infighting happening in the, between the French and the British. They're just like, I'm going to block you. No, I'm going to block you. No, you're blocked. No, you're, you're blocked. blocked. Okay, you're blocked over here. You're blocked over there. Okay, fine. It's crazy. That's exactly, that's exactly probably what Direct it sounded quote. like. Direct quote. This, they also start, like, both sides start, um, actually all sides, because the U.S. actually passed, I think, a, a law or two in regards to the situation, but they start naming these, like, decrees and agreements and whatever by, like, and they name them names 
of cities that have like no part in the conflict. And I just think it's hilarious. Obsessed with that. I am. I it's it's, it brought me (laughs) great joy. This first one's amazing. This first first one one is amazing. The first one's great. The Berlin Decree. Tell me, what did Germany have to do with this? Not a They're fucking literally like, thing. Keep my name out of your mouth. Yes. Why are you Ein naming this after our city? Absolutely. Don't want to be here. No. The Berlin. I know the Berlin Decree. <laughs> the Jacksonville Declaration. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. So it was the Berlin Decree enacted by the French in 1806, and it established Napoleon's continental system, which impinged on U.S. neutral rights by designating ships that that visited British ports as enemy vessels. So, like, like, right? That's fucked. So, like, Napoleon is all like, hear ye, hear... Oh, that's British. Hear ye, hear ye. We'll just do American. (laughs) (laughs) Are you've literally you literally speak French. This is crazy. <laughs> this is crazy that you can't conjure up a French accent. Oh my goodness. It's hard. The Americans This is a crime what you're doing right now. <laughs> this is you like, should be locked up. This is I mean God, I couldn't even get on SNL with that accent. But basically Napoleon is like, hey, America, if you go to the British ports before you come to us, then we're going to call you an enemy. This is, enemy. Like a, this is like a middle school fight where it's yeah. like, if you talk to her, consider our friendship over. Mm-hmm. Like, sorry, if you want to go talk to her, then you might as well be her friend. Yeah. So. <laughs> so. That's get, what's happening. And then they're the, just at Berlin Decree. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, oh my God. Could you imagine? That is like the, like, we really missed that step in grade school where it was like, yeah. we just needed to call our decrees something. Berlin decree. Berlin decree. to her. Not friends. Bye. Not <laughs> <laughs> my God. So fucking petty. I mean, I get it. It's not petty. They're talking about trade and they're trying to like, you know, save their countries, but like fucking petty. It's petty. It's petty. It's petty. The British responded with the orders in council. Okay, we're gonna, we're gonna, we see your Berlin decree and yeah. we raise you in orders of council. Orders in council. <laughs> they passed those in 1807 and it required neutral ships, aka the United States. The United States. To obtain licenses at English ports before trading with France or French colonies. So at Dang. least, I, it, yeah, right? So at least they weren't straight up, like, like the French were like, if you go over there and see them, again, this is not a good accent, but if you it, go... It was better than the first attempt. It's, it's better than before, but if you go, then you cannot come here. <laughs> sure. Whereas the English are like, you can get my permission. Yeah. It's to very, go and talk to her. It's very British of the British. Yeah. Be like... We won't consider you an enemy, but you can ask for permission. Mm-hmm. Mm, it doesn't mean we'll grant it. Right, but you can ask. You can ask. We require that you ask. Ask Get my permission before you cross the playground and talk to her. Yeah. Is that really what you want to do? You report to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Dang. So the British or the French have so far said, you can't come to France if you're going to a British port first, you dot s dot. 
The British have responded and said, you can go to France after visiting us if you get a license, Mm -hmm. which doesn't really solve the U.S.'s problem with France because they still can't go to France. Right. France considers them an enemy ship, so. Right. So, like, but at least they could go to the English, maybe? Okay. At least the English won't consider them enemies. Enemies, yes. Which is interesting considering the most recent breakup. Of course. In the Revolutionary War. Okay. Of course. Okay. So, after those things happened, France announced the Milan Decree. Let's just Let's bring in any, bring another player into the room. Uh, Milan. Any other European country want to offer up a city for us to name a decree after? Yes. Uh, yes. Like a Milan Decree? Oh, my God. So, France announced the Milan Decree. I can't even say it without sarcasm. There's a lot. There's a lot. It's heavy. It weighs heavy in my brain. In 1807, which strengthened the Berlin Decree by authorizing the capture of any neutral vessel that had submitted to search by the British. So now they're royally fucked, U.S. is, because they can't go to France, enemy ship. They can't go to Britain and then go to France. They're basically, like, cut off from France. Like, basically, the only people that they can really trade with is the British. But there's another problem that the British, that the Americans have with the British that's, like, not great for them that I think you're going to talk about. But, like, there's, they're basically fucked both ways. Right. Like, they can only go to France if they're only going to France. Which, like, what's the point of only going to France? Right. Like, you might as well go both countries. You've already made the long journey across the Mm -hmm. ocean. Mm-hmm. It's what, like a half a day? I'm making that up by ship. I mean, who's to say? Who's to say? I don't know. I on know. the high seas, <laughs> on the high seas, in a cargo ship. I mean, I know what it is, you know, by the like rail thing. But like, I don't know. That was a nice two hour train ride. On the high seas with a cargo ship. Who knows? Who knows? Have never have never steered a cargo ship. Consequently, American ships that obeyed Britain faced capture by the French in European (laughs) ports. And if they complied with Napoleon's continental system, they could fall prey to the Royal Navy. They're in an abusive relationship with Mm -hmm. France and Great Britain, and they can't get out of it. I mean, it really is the worst divorce. Right. And it's like, and they're just sitting on the high seas being like, (laughs) is like, somebody's going to capture me. (laughs) I'm not sure which one it's going to be, but there's a 99% chance that we're going to get captured by one of them. By one of them. Somebody's going to come get us. Yeah. So continuing on, uh, this is from history.com. The British Royal Navy also outraged Americans by its practice of impressment or removing seamen. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Removing uh, sailors from U.S. merchant vessels and forcing them to serve on behalf of the British. So they're literally like, they're do they're they're coming into their house and being like, now you serve us. They're yeah. capturing them, yeah, and forcing them into the Royal Navy. Yeah, yeah. This is not. This is like not just like hey knock on the door, we're going to use your house to, like, sleep here tonight. Right, right. It's like, we're no, going to no. take it a step further. We're going to take it a step further. Kidnap you. Yeah. And make you work for us. 
I would say, yeah, that would cause some outrage. Yeah. So this is okay. the other thing that was happening that, like, America was not particularly happy about with sure. the Brits. I mean, yeah, that's not cool. Obviously. I understand. Yeah. So in 1809, the U.S. Congress repealed Thomas Jefferson's Unpopular Embargo Act, which by restricting trade had hurt Americans more than either Britain or France. It forbade all export shipping from the U.S. ports and most imports from Britain. So TJ passed this thing and was like, we're not trading with these people. And then now we don't have trade. Right. Is what basically happened. And the Congress was like, mm, bad. This was a bad decision. This is bad. This is a bad, this bad, is a bad idea. This is a bad business decision. Sorry. Yep. Its replacement, <laughs> the Non-Intercourse Act. Why is this happening? <laughs> The Non-Intercourse Act, no, no, specifically prohibited trade with Britain and France. It also proved ineffective and in turn was replaced with a May 1810 bills stating that if either power dropped trade restrictions against the United States, Congress would in turn resume non-intercourse <laughs> with the op- opposing power. Okay. So the U.S. is like, we're restricting trade. Okay, Mm -hmm. we'll repeal that. Okay, we are specifically just restricting trade with with Britain and France. Okay, okay, we'll do you one more. We will take down our restrictions if you take down your restrictions. Yes. This is crazy. It's crazy. It's so so petty. It's such a way, it's such a funny way to construct a non-intercourse agreement. Exactly right. If you do this, I'll do this. Yes. Real quid pro quo yes. situation there. Sounds sounds untenable. Oh this is getting so random. I'm obsessed with it. In the fall of 1811, Indiana's territorial governor, William Henry Harrison, future president, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Future president led U.S. troops to victory in the Battle of Tippecanoe. The defeat convinced many Indians in the Northwest Territory that they needed British support to prevent American settlers from pushing them further out of their lands. Enter in a new character who has been there the whole time. The whole time. The whole time. Oh, good Lord. Meanwhile, by the late 1811, the so-called, quote, war hawks in Congress were putting more and more pressure on President Madison. Yeah. To, like, do something. To do something. Right. Right, 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 right. President Madison summoned the U.S. Congress into session in November of 1811. Pro-war Western and Southern Republicans, who they also called war hawks, assumed a vocal role, especially after Kentucky war hawk Henry Clay was elected Speaker of the House of Representatives. President Madison sent a war message to the U.S. Congress on June 1st, 1812, and signed a declaration of war on June 18th, 1812. The vote seriously divided the House. It was 79 to 49. And was gravely close in the Senate, 19 to 13. So close. So close. Because seafaring New Englanders opposed the war while Westerners and Southerners supported it, Federalists accused war advocates of expansionism under the ruse of protecting American maritime rights. So there's a lot. There's a lot going on, right? There's a lot. There's a lot. There's a lot of feelings. People are getting very anxious. There's a lot of drama. There's a lot of, like, and, and, like, under, like, 
like underlying concerns that are like real and valid. Yeah. So like what we got going on in like Indiana territory is basically the Native Americans are like the British are going to support us in yeah. fighting against America. Yeah. And so now the U.S. is having to be like, okay, now the British are aligning with the Native Americans yeah. to come against us. So now we have to definitely get into a war situation here. Yeah. Because now this is happening on our not only on our land, then we got the trade situation happening yeah. on the sea. Yeah. And so basically the the non-war people are accusing the the basically the people who are fighting against the native americans of like making it about the maritime stuff when in fact it's about like getting more and more and more land a lot of moving parts it's a lot of moving parts it's a lot it would have been a lot to explain to what like a seventh grader sure like this there's nuances that it's by by land and by sea yes and see the native i feel like you know what this really could have been drawn with a diagram and a map. For sure. Well, because there's there's essentially two different wars happening here, yeah. right? There is obviously the trade war in the seas that's going on between the U.S., France, and Great Britain. And then also there is a war going on between the Native Americans and American settlers, who the Native Americans are basically reacting to American settlers coming in and taking their land. So the Native Americans are creating an alliance with the British... To help them fight against the American settlers. Yes. All of this is the War of 1812. Yes. It's all the War of 1812. It's it's complicated. And it's, it's complicated. just it's just not as, you know, jazzy as War of Independence. You know, no. you you can't real it's hard to sum up in a log line. Right. We're gonna take a quick break for a little word from our sponsors. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing. 
to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. So the war, as Lizzie described, has now started. And we're fighting on, the U.S. is fighting on multiple fronts. And, you know, we've got the Native Americans, the Brits, and the French. There's a lot that we could talk about in terms of battles and the fighting that happened in the War of 1812. Maybe we'll do, like, a battle. Like, we'll do some battles separately. Love it. We're just going to talk about one battle. And I'm going to be honest, I selfishly picked this battle. Hey. Because it relates to my life. Hey, we are in control of this podcast. We are in control of this podcast. And you know what? I didn't ask Lizzie and I I just just chose. You have my blessing always. Thank you. Thank you. So we're going to talk about the Battle of Lake Erie, also known as the Battle of Put-in-Bay. And the reason I chose this, Put-in-Bay, in case you don't know, there is like mainland Ohio, Mm -hmm. uh, which is like what we think of as Ohio, the swing state. And then there's this chain of islands that are in Lake Erie that are also part of Ohio. And if you didn't know that Ohio had islands, welcome to the rest of the well world who done. also didn't know that. Welcome. 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 But I, for the last, you know, 10, 12 years, have spent time on we island of Putin bay I think there's like 400 people who maybe live there year round, but it's like a kind of summer tourist destination if you can drive there within like three or four hours people go for the weekend and whatever right so i chose this because a i've been to put in bay spent a lot of time on lake erie and b because i have there there's like a downtown park where there's like i should i probably have pictures of it somewhere that i can send you for social media but there's like a cannon in the middle of the park and then like stacks of cannonballs to the size of the cannons obsessed there's like there's perry's uh Perry's Monument, which is, like, the memorial to the guy who, like, won the Battle of Lake Erie, Mm -hmm. who we're going to talk about. And then they still, like, bring in ships. Like, if you're there at one point in the summer, like, you can, they literally shoot off cannons, and you can see (gasps) there's, like, yeah, there's ships that come in. I mean, it's fucking wild. And there's still, like, it's, like, the little downtown park area has all these little monuments or, like, markers for things. It's really interesting. Anyway, so it was, like, nice to read about a battle that I have some context for. I love it. Yeah. Take it away. Okay, great. Here we go. So this is all coming from battlefields.org. We know we love. Once the War of 1812 broke out, the British Royal Navy gained naval supremacy over Lake Erie, so they came and took her over. British forces in Canada easily crossed into Detroit and captured Fort Detroit. As a result of British naval supremacy on Lake Erie, the American naval war effort is every time I have to say naval, I kind of laugh inside. Sure. A naval war effort established shipbuilding harbors and ports in Erie, Pennsylvania to combat this threat. So like the British come in, they take over Lake Erie. The Americans are like trying to get their ships to Lake Erie to like get stopped, to hold them back, to like stop them, which like. It's also very interesting to me because it's like, why do you care about Putin Bay? It's like 20 minutes to the mainland. Like, it's a 20-minute ferry ride yeah, from mainland yeah. to the island. Why Who's are you making a pit stop? Who is to say? Who is to say? So, and then, like, the, but the Americans are building their ships in Erie, Pennsylvania. 
And the shipbuilding in Erie needed to was aided by other manufacturing hubs in Pittsburgh and other shipping harbors in Ches- in the Chesapeake Bay. Fortunately, the American naval armaments left the Chesapeake harbors for Erie just before the British captured construction ports and cannon foundries. So they the British came in to the Chesapeake Bay and like took over stuff there, but they didn't get there in time to stop the American the Americans from like moving the stuff that they They're needed stuck. to build the ships Jeez. out of town. So we're good. We're good. The Americans are good. The new squadron of ships that arrives from this amalgamation of like being in Erie, being in the Chesapeake, they are, are under the command of Master Commandant Oliver Hazard Perry. Wow. What a name. Oliver Hazard Perry. Imagine having a child looking at its <laughs> like newborn face and saying your middle name is Hazard. <laughs> That's crazy. It's crazy. So they're under his command, Perry, who is the monument is named after, were about completed by mid-July of 1813. However, the British in Lake Erie blockaded the shipbuilding areas outside of the surrounding waters of Erie. So they're like, they're trying to finish the ships. This guy's supposed to be in charge of them, Hazard Perry. And he's, but like, they're, they're, it's kind of a fight to get them out of Erie, Pennsylvania to Lake Erie where they need them. Only a sandbar and American cannons prevented the British ships from destroying the new American squadron. Look, all, all you need is a sandbar and a dream, and you can stop the British ships you- from destroying America. <laughs> a sa- imagine being the British, right? And they're like, a fucking single sandbar has basically lost us mm-hmm. the War of 1812. It comes back down to that sandbar, an American hero. Yeah. That prevented the British from just obliterating us. Obsessed with that. They didn't consider sandbars? They Come didn't, on. no. They, they just... Come on. I know. The Royal Navy. Get it together. I Read know. a book. Do they have sand in Great Britain? Britain? Is that a, yeah. They're cliffy. Aren't they cliffy shores? They're rocky, but I feel like there's sand. Yeah. Right? There's ocean. Not a single, not a single granule of sand. Isn't there sand underneath the water? Like, isn't that, isn't that across the board? I guess that must be. I don't know. You tell me. So the British abandoned their blockade at the end of June 1813 due to poor weather and looming shortage of supplies. So they were like, it's raining. (laughs) It's raining. It's raining. Nobody told us that this lake freezes because the lake does freeze. Oh, sure. That makes more sense. And you can actually. Yeah, and you can actually, like... Die. You, A, a, could die. B, obviously not back then, but in current times, you can drive across it, and people still do. If the lake is sufficiently frozen, you can, like, drive across the lake from... Absolutely not. From the island to the mainland. You could could take a snowmobile if you wanted to. Yeah. Absolutely not. Yeah. But so, yeah, they're like, they're, I mean, this is July, so I'm sure the lake wasn't freezing then, but they've got, you know, there are potentially other problems. Maybe it was quite windy. It'd be hot. It's hot. It Muggy. It does. The lake does tend to whip up some churn. Maybe they weren't ready for it. And they're running short on supplies, you know? They, yeah. they, they just don't have a lot of bangers and mash left, so... As the Royal Navy withdrew, the newly constructed American squadron slowly traversed the sandbar. So they overcame the sandbar. They overcame the sandbar. (laughs) They did what the British could not do, and that was overcome the The singular sandbar. (laughs) 
that stood in the way of victory. I, I just want to know where this sandbar was. And I love that that was just like, no, no. Proceed with caution. They planned for months to cross the sandbar. <laughs> this was a well-organized orchestration to get across. Good old American this one ingenuity. Sandbar. No. Look, at least they did it. The British were the British never could figure out how to get across the sandbar. <laughs> I get me I get being like momentarily stopped and being like, we yeah. need to take a couple of days here to kind of assess here, but you never figured out how to get deal with the sandbar. With the sandbar? Like, quite some time to pass. Yes. So yes. So the Americans are slowly, they slowly traverse the sandbar and arrive in Putin Bay for the upcoming battle. Love. So basically there's a lot of fighting that happens on the waters of Lake Erie, just off the shore of Putin Bay. And basically there's three, there's multiple American ships. There's multiple, multiple British ships save you the trouble of like this one went down and this one went down and this one went down it's it was a fight yeah it was a fight and perry uh was on the lawrence ship which was one of the american ships and he escaped unscathed from that ship with the help of his personal assistant cyrus tiffany who was a free african-american who physically shielded perry from debris and gunfire during their escape to the niagara Dang. Yeah. Okay. Shout out to Cyrus. Yeah. For fucking getting in there and getting it done. And getting it done. And single-handedly protecting this... Commandant. Commandant hazard. Perry. Love it. <laughs> so Perry moves over to the Niagara. The Lawrence goes down. And he, in, he intends to continue the fight. The British vessels, however, believed that Perry had fled to the Niagara to lead the American squadron in retreat. So, like, mm. the British think that they've won. They've yeah. sunk the Lawrence. The captain of, like, the commandant of the whole thing, not just the captain of the ship, that individual ship, but the whole... The whole leader, The yeah. whole battle has fled to the Niagara, and so the British think that, like, they've won. There's, they, he's going to retreat. We got this mm. in the bag. You know what happens when you assume. You make, you make an, an ass. out of you and me. That's right, honey. That's right. So two of the British vessels that were previously entangled in their rigging during the engagement with the Lawrence only managed to break free after the American squadron utterly decimated the British. So there are two ships tangled, caught up together. They're trying to unbuckle themselves or trying to like break free. Jesus Christ. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> trying to break free. Meanwhile, the Americans much, you know, pull a very American thing, which I'm so, do you need help? Bang, bang, you're dead. Like they bang, go bang, in honey. <laughs> just, and they attack the British. As a result, the British lost their fighting ability. I would think there. Yeah. There's no, there's no more left to fight. There's You've no more left all the to ships. fight. I mean, it, what's interesting too about is like where I picture this happening is that there's not a, there's not a lot of like, you're still very close to the mainland, right? But, like, sure. there's also other islands on the other side of Putin Bay. So, like, you, that you can see from standing on Putin Bay. So, it's not like there's just an all-out open expanse. There's also other land. So, right. it's like, you know, they've got some other... It's not like they can just run away. Right. It's a small theater of war. It's a small theater of water. So the British lost their fighting ability and they surrendered at 3 p.m. On the dot. On the dot. We know the time. A very respectable time to surrender. They're like, you know what? It's three. Let's call it. 
Let's call it. Anybody Let's fancy call a pint? Just call it a day and just say, no, no, done here, done here, we lost all the ships. Sandbar got the best of us. (laughs) Oopsie daisies, we'll try again next time. Next time, slower, slower over the sandbar. Slower, I think, over the, actually next time we run into a sandbar, let's maybe make a plan to get over the sandbar. Yeah. Instead of just kind of sitting around the sandbar. Really seemed to be what tripped us up here with this battle. Yeah. Yeah. Once the British vessels were repaired and now under the banner of the United States of America, we just took them. We took yeah, the ship. Yeah, yeah, that's what you do. In no, war, no, you, you just know, take we just take them, put a flag Our on ship it. ship now. Now it's a U.S. flag. Correct. Lake Erie then became under American control. This naval supremacy forced the British to withdraw from Fort Detroit because obviously they've now, like, America now has, like, a focal point by mm-hmm. which you could go across the lake the other way to Detroit. Additionally, the lake remained in American hands for the remainder of the war, which prevented any possible British invasion of Ohio or Pennsylvania from Canada. Sure. Blocked yeah. them off. Protect like, that water. Not invading here. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. You didn't cross the sandbar. Yeah. Don't know what to tell you. Don't know what to tell you. So let's talk about the Treaty of Ghent and the lasting effects. Still so with these on, names. I know. I don't know where Ghent is or uh. what Ghent is, but here we are. Here we are. On February 16th, 1815, the day President James Madison sent the Treaty of Ghent to the Senate, senators approved it unanimously. With ratification of this treaty, the War of 1812 came to an end. Senators were relieved that the conflict was over, even though the treaty accomplished none of the war's original objectives, which included an end to the British impressment of American sailors and the annexation of Canada. Mm-hmm. So basically, this treaty did ended the war, and but didn't really figure didn't out much. the whole reason we got into the war. That whole that whole shebang. Yep. This is all coming from the Senate. The treaty was signed in Ghent on December 24th, 1814, and was soon approved by the British Parliament, but it took six weeks for the news to travel by sea to the United States. On January 8th, 1815, unaware of the Ghent Agreement, American forces commanded by General Andrew Jackson defeated the British at the Battle of New Orleans. Americans simultaneously received reports of the military triumph and the peace treaty, prompting Great public celebrations. I mean, sure. Why not get one more in get there? Get one more in. Why not? Another I round. I, sorry, I didn't see your text. <laughs> I didn't see your text. Uh, I'm so, I yes, I yes, I did just defeat the British. So sorry. I will stop now. I'll stop now. I will stop. My now. apologies. My apologies. Red receipts will be on. Thank you. Yes. Apologies. Apologies. Because the Battle of New Orleans took place after the peace treaty had been negotiated the battle has sometimes been dismissed as inconsequential. In fact, the war would not end until the United States Senate approved the peace treaty. As part of the negotiations, the British had insisted that the Senate approve or reject the treaty without amendment. Such a stipulation might have offended the Senate, but the Battle of New Orleans provided a psychological boost that propelled senators to approve the treaty immediately and unanimously. They're like... I feel good that we just won something. We All right, fine. That. Have your treaty. Have your treaty. Which, like, when I think about it, not great diplomacy. The fact that they were like, oh, okay, well, we just we just beat you up in New Orleans. All right, we won't amend this. We won't we amend won't this. Amend we'll it. give it you. Fine. We'll throw it's you a fine. bone. It's like, it's that's fine. not how war works. You, you, take, you take the China. It's fine. Yeah. 
The next day, February 17, 1815, Secretary of State James Monroe presented the signed treaty to the British minister in Washington, and the War of 1812 officially ended. I love this. Yeah. Though the War of 1812 remembered as a relatively minor conflict in the United States and Britain, it looms large for Canadians and for Native Americans who see it as a decisive turning point in their losing struggle to govern themselves. Mm -hmm. In fact, the war had a far-reaching impact in the United States as the Treaty of Ghent ended decades of bitter partisan infighting in government and ushered in a so-called, quote, Era of good feelings. Mm. Good vibes, good vibes. So warm inside. The war also marked the demise of the Federalist Party, which had been accused of being unpatriotic for its anti-war stance and reinforced a tradition of Anglophobia that had begun during the Revolutionary War. Yep. So an end of an era, really. Yep. And finally, let's end with a quick little fun fact, fun fact, fun fact, fun fact, fun fact. Although it's more like a fun story. But this is a story that like, <laughs> I know I was taught in, in elementary, not elementary school, but in school. Like yeah. this is what I think of the War of 1812. I think of we're fighting Great Britain mm-hmm. again. Mm-hmm. And that the White House got burned. Yeah. So this is the story coming from history.com. So on August 24th, 1814, British troops entered Washington, D.C. and burned the White House in retaliation for the American attack on the city of York in Ontario, Canada. That happened the year prior. When the British arrived at the White House, they found that President James Madison and his first lady, Dolly, had already fled to safety in Maryland. And I think, if I remember correctly, this is, Dolly Madison is the one who, like, saved the famous portrait of George Washington. She, like, grabbed the portrait and, like, ran out the house and was like, I got it! And she's, like, an American hero because she, like, (laughs) saved his artifact. So, like, shout out to Dolly. Like, James, of course, is just gone. Doesn't think to grab the keys. Dolly's like, hold on. Let's think this through. Yeah. What is valuable? What do we need from this place? What do we need? Let's grab that and go. Complete, like, doesn't surprise me at all that, like, Dolly is the one who thought, let's save a priceless artifact. Why not? Yeah. You know, they're not technically here yet. But let's prepare. But let's prepare. Soldiers reportedly sat down to eat a meal b- <laughs> to eat a meal of leftover food from the White House scullery using White House dishes and silver before ransacking the presidential mansion and setting it ablaze. I honestly would do something like I this. I would do that. I would, I would do be that. like, I'm gonna sleep in the bed. I'm gonna like mm-hmm. sit on a chair. I'm yep. gonna like I'm. I mean, I'm you're in the White on the House. For God's yeah, sake. yeah. Do it I'm all. gonna go to the bathroom. Yeah. Although President Madison and his wife were able to return to Washington only three days later when the British troops had moved on, they never again lived in the White House. Madison served the rest of his term residing at the city's Octagon House, and it was not until 1817 that newly elected President James Monroe moved back into the reconstructed building. So, yeah, she's been burned. She's been burned bad. She's been burned. Not like the rest of America. Burn. Sure. Sure. But yeah, that is, that is, I think, like, the story that prevails through this when you think of, like, American education surrounding the War of 1812. It's the White House being burned down. I mean, Mm -hmm. oh my gosh. uh, Did you know? It happened. Or not burned. I mean, I don't know if burned down is the word, but, like, burned really badly. They had to, like, redo her. Yeah. And, like, re kind of give her. her. They had to give her a facelift. You couldn't live in it. Exactly right. Yep. Exactly right. 
And that concludes our episode on the War of 1812. Ooh. So many fun things that we learned. Very exciting. Learned about the Battle of Lake Erie. We learned about what, like all the petty shit that was going on that led to this war. Yeah. It was, it's a lot more complicated than I think we are taught because yes. we don't spend a lot of time on this war. No, no. It really doesn't get its just due. No, no. There's a lot of fun and funky things about this war, which is why I'm glad we finally talked about her and yep. gave her her space. Yes. Because truly, had we had lost the war, it basically probably would have undone the entire Revolutionary War. Like, we needed to yeah. win this. We needed to win this. This was... This we was, needed a W. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This... I mean, if we had lost this, maybe, like, not of, like, you know, completely devastated the United States as a union, but definitely would have, like, we would have had to concede some territories and some lands. Yeah. Like... Yeah, we would have... We would have lost some lands. We would have... For yeah. sure. Yeah. We wouldn't have Ohio, for sure. No. Ohio no. would be good. I would be Ohio Canadian. Would be, you would be Canadian. God help you. Just kidding. Love our Canadian. Love our Canadian listeners. You guys are doing it better than we are uh, at all times. <laughs> but in the meantime, you guys, that was our episode. And if you like what you heard, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Let's Get Civical. You can rate us. You can review us. You can subscribe to us. We love you so, so much. And we will see you next Wednesday. Goodbye. Goodbye.